0: Creative
1: Maybe it was love at first sight. It was the first time in my life where I'd ever seen someone and immediately thought, oh, I'm totally gonna ask this
2: woman out. I don't know, but... There definitely was an electric feel in the room. Like I have to date her. And I think she kind of felt the same way.
1: And I couldn't tell you what it was. There was some kind of charisma that she had that I was drawn to. Steven Pacheco is talking about a new girl at work. I actually, I still remember um, our first date. We went and we saw Zodiac. It was a great first date. We had a good time. We connected. Uh, She was one of the smartest people I'd
2: ever met, which is what I think drew me to her so much. And they went on many dates after that. But what happens when lust turns into love, when infatuation turns into dedication? I mean, it happens quick. And before you know it, you have your toothbrush at her place. But when is it okay to cross into the next phase of the relationship? A place where you can ask deeply personal questions. You know, like, are you looking for something long-term or how many partners have you had? What are those pills behind the medicine cabinet? She always had
1: a lot of pills that she was taking, so I asked her about it once, and she was very, um, she wasn't very forthcoming about it. She was just like, oh, um, I, you know, I have to take these pills. It's a condition that I have. And she didn't really tell me exactly what the condition was at that time. I didn't think it
2: was anything major. Around this time, Stephen was running out of funds, and he had to make a choice, move and break up? or stay and move together. But they've only been dating for like three months. So he decided to stay. But what about those pills? And why was she going to the doctor all the time? Should he worry? Is it any of his business? So today, we're turning over the microphone to you, our listeners, and some of my podcasting friends to tell you stories about a time when you thought you knew someone truly knew someone but they turned out to be a complete stranger i'm javier Leva and this is pretend radio real stories about people pretending to be someone else
1: After New Year's 2007, um, we had spent New Year's Eve together and it was a really good night. It was kind of the night where our relationships sort of moved to like the next level. It wasn't just like, let's go to the movies or let's hang out. It was after that, we started to
2: spend more time together and we started to discuss the future a little bit. She was laying in bed coughing. She asked Stephen if he could give her a massage, but it wasn't a gentle, soothing massage. She asked him if he could do more of a chopping motion on her mid-back. She explained. And she was like, no, th- sometimes I have to have this done
1: uh, because of my lungs. And I was, you know, I was like, well, what's wrong with your lungs? And she said, well, it's part of a, a bigger problem. And so I was like, you know, you I see you taking pills and you've told me before that you have a problem. I know you go to a doctor a lot. Uh If we're at this point, I guess, where we're going to move forward with this relationship, I should probably know what's going on. I mean, it's your business, but I feel like I should know. She essentially said when she was very young, uh, she had been diagnosed with a blood disorder. She never gave it a name. I always assumed what she was referring to was leukemia. And she essentially said, you know, doctors have told me that I'm probably not going to make it out of my 20s. And if I make it till around 25, I'm lucky. So many things
2: are running through his mind. She's not going to live past 25. This is way more than he asked for. But in a way, knowing this made him fall in love with her even more. And it made me admire her
1: somewhat because I thought, here's this girl who more than likely uh, isn't going to make it to 30. And she's 20 years old and she's already, you know, she finished high school and she was going to college while she was in high school. And she's doing all this preparation for a future that she's not going to have, or at least she's not going to have for very long. And maybe she had it in her mind somewhere that she could beat it.
2: Steven remembers that movie, A Walk to Remember.
1: And it's about a girl who has cancer. And she's got like this checklist of things she wants to do before she dies. And like the last thing on the list is to get married. And he recalls
2: her saying that she wants to get married before she dies. What should he do? I mean, he barely knows her. I didn't say anything, but I did have discussions
1: with my brother about it. And I was just kind of like, you know, I care about her a lot. She doesn't have a lot of time. So I don't want to date her and... We end up breaking up because it's not going to go somewhere, and she wasted what little time she has. So I felt like I had to make an important decision on that because I didn't want to waste what little time she had left. And so I made the choice, actually, that um, that we should possibly get married. But there's a problem. When we got to town hall to do all this, we were informed that we had gone to the wrong town hall.
2: They were in the wrong building, It was Friday afternoon, and they were never going to make it to the city clerk's office in time. Their marriage will have to wait till Monday. But life got busy, and they never made it back to City Hall. They decided they didn't need to get married. They would just live together instead. Around that time, Steven needed to go out of town for a few weeks. He called to check in on her. So I called her
1: one day, and I asked her what she was doing. And she had said that she was home and she was in bed and she wasn't feeling well. So, you know, we talked for a little bit and I let her go. I didn't want to keep her up, but it it was literally like 20 minutes later that she posted on Facebook and her location was tagged in it and she was not at home. She was actually in a different part of the state where I knew she had friends who were away at college So I looked at their Facebooks and I saw postings about them and her, you know, at a party. And I I thought it was bizarre because it was like, why would she lie to me that she was going to some party at a college? I I don't understand. And then I saw a lot of social media stuff that seemed to reflect that her ex-boyfriend was at that party. And so I started to put the the numbers together on that and I waited till a couple days later. And I spoke to her again and asked her what was going on that night. And she got aggressive with me and just kind of attacked me for not trusting her. And that's when I started to realize I, I didn't really know Enough about this girl. Uh, I didn't know where she was born. I didn't know her parents' names. I didn't know what she did as a kid. There were all these things suddenly that I was realizing, I don't necessarily know who this person is. I know who I thought this person was or who I told myself this person was. So we actually ended up breaking up over the phone. At the time, I was very forgiving and sympathetic towards her because of the illness It wasn't actually for quite a while until I found out the truth on that.
2: Months after they broke up, Stephen met up with her again. This time, she was wearing a hat that covered her entire head. He asked her.
1: And I was like, what's, you know, what's with the hat? Because it wasn't like just a regular hat. And she essentially told me that she had been going through treatments and she had lost her hair. And she didn't want me to see her without her hair and she wouldn't take the hat off and I wasn't going to press the issue. I felt bad. A couple days after that meeting, which was the last time I saw her, I went out to dinner with some friends and was talking about it. And they asked me if I had seen her and I said, yeah. And I told them about the hat and one of them laughed. And I was like, what's funny about that?
2: This was the moment Stephen realized that he was living in a world created just for him. So
1: I... Did the only thing I could think to do, which was I met up with a close friend of hers and we hung out for a little while and I just kind of hit her with the question said, so what is it? What does she have? What is she sick with? Because she's never told me exactly what it was. And the girl's response to me was um, she tells people that she's got essentially leukemia, but there's nothing wrong with her. What do you mean there's nothing wrong with her? There's obviously I've seen the pills. I've seen, you know, a bunch of stuff. And she is, she basically told me, did you ever actually look at the pill bottles? Did you read what they were? Cause she's on stuff for like migraines and she's on like anxiety medication, but there's no, she has no life threatening illness. And I was like, well, I just saw her and she had, you know, that hat because she had lost her hair or whatever. And the girl took her phone out and showed me a picture that had been taken the night
2: before. And she did not have the hat on and her hair looked fine. You see, Steven's girlfriend wasn't sick. She wasn't even dying. It was all an act. Today's show is about lies. Lies so persistent that it's impossible to question because the person telling them is committed to making them a reality. I got the idea for the show late one night. I went online and asked you, my listeners, to send me stories about a time you've been duped. The response I got was incredible. In fact, if you have a story you'd like to share, send it along and I'll add instructions in today's show notes. Up next. Have you ever wondered what your ex is up to these days? Carly Nichols couldn't get the idea out of her head. So one day,
3: I thought it would be interesting just to put his name into Google and see if anything came up.
2: He was Hungarian, so he had a very distinctive name.
3: So I Googled his name and I found a profile on him with his picture on a website that was uh, one of those outing a cheating spouse type websites. And on this website, on this profile, I found many stories from many women uh, that he dated over the years. um, And and lots of them were very similar to my situation. And I noticed a lot of lies that he told me about his life that were um, being repeated by these women.
2: While she was sifting through the lies, she came across one that was truly outrageous.
3: And there was one that was... A, came as a real shock to me. Not long before I left him, he had my name tattooed across his chest in big cursive script, and it was something that I wasn't into at all, and I didn't ask him to do it.
2: So what was it that she found on that website that surprised her?
3: After I left him, he told almost every other partner that he'd had that this girl, written across his chest, was his dead fiancé. Um, I'm not quite sure the elaborate lie he probably told as far as my death, but as you can probably hear, I am not dead and we were never engaged. So um, out of all the lies he ever told, and he really told some big ones, that was truly shocking that I'm dead.
2: Our next story is about a lie that's becoming way too common. People always ask me to do a catfishing episode, but no thanks. It's been done before. But then I heard Nikki T's story, and this one actually has a happy ending.
4: I was catfished before catfishing was a thing. So, um, I don't even know what they called it before catfishing. (laughs)
2: Being tricked on the internet? In 2003, Nikki started talking to this guy named Nick on Yahoo Messenger. They talked every night for months. Just to put things into perspective, in 2003, Mark Zuckerberg was still in college and Facebook was just an idea. Nikki was living in California and Nick was in Arkansas.
4: I finally decided that I just wanted to move out of California. I hated it, I hated living with my parents. I came up with the idea to um, move. And since I was talking to this person, he had suggested me moving out to Arkansas. Well, um, not thinking it through at all, I never saw a picture of him the whole time we talked. I never saw a video. I don't even know if they had, I guess they had web cameras back then. Everyone is young and stupid at one point. So I was like, okay, okay.
2: So she found a job in Arkansas and decided to move. I know it sounds crazy, but Nikki told me it wasn't about moving for some guy. She packed everything she owned into her two-door Saturn and drove straight to Arkansas. She really just needed to get out of California and start a new life somewhere else. Anywhere, really. So, what was it about this guy?
4: (laughs) The way that Nick described himself to me was he was built like a bodyguard. He said that he worked at a radio station. Um, He lived on his own. It wasn't common for people to catfish you back then, so I had no reason to believe, I know this sounds stupid, but I had no reason to believe that this person was lying. Um, And I think a part of me just didn't care. I just wanted out of my current situation.
2: When Nikki arrived in Arkansas, she went straight to meet Chris. When she pulled up to the driveway, four men walked out of the house.
4: It was um just two normal looking people and one really heavy set person, and then out walks someone who is nearly I don't know, like six hundred pounds. I'm talking unhealthy, huge. Surely I thought, Well, that's not him, he's one of the other guys. Well, no, I was wrong. He was the 600-pound person, and I guess in my mind, I was wondering, like, how are you going to explain yourself, you know? But I guess people who lie for fun don't care. <laughs> so um, I found out that uh, not only did he lie about his appearance, he, um, he lived with his mom. He didn't have a job And I don't think he ever had a job. He didn't have a car and um, just everything. So everything he told me was a lie.
2: Even after lying to her, Nikki and Chris remained friends.
4: I actually ended up dating one of the other guys that was there um, and marrying him. We kind of ran off and got married. I don't really regret anything because I wouldn't be who I am or where I am without my past. And I would have never met my super amazing husband and I would have never had my kids if things didn't work out the way they did.
2: Okay, our last lie comes from Andrea Hill. Andrea was 12 years old when her and her family traveled to Northern Louisiana for a family reunion. Little did she know that everyone around her was keeping a secret from her her entire life. As her family pulls into the reunion, they see a group of cousins playing soccer in the yard with a strange girl wearing her hair in a bun and a really long skirt. Somebody in the car asked,
0: Who invited her? What is she doing here? And I had no idea, you know, what was going on.
2: They get out of the car.
0: I just remember my dad being like, upset, you know, and my grandma pulled me off to the side and she said, Andrea, you see that little girl over there and you know, there's windows. And I looked out and she said, and I said, yeah. And she said, uh, she's, she's telling everybody she's your sister Hmm. and, and don't worry about it. She's lying. Um, all she wants is, is, is your daddy's money. And, and I remember being just pissed, you know? Yeah. Just, just really, just furious because I didn't have a great relationship with my dad, and um, and I just remember thinking, now I have to fight somebody else for that affection mm-hmm. and that attention.
2: I'm just putting myself in your shoes right now, and all these people are telling you this girl, she's going around telling everybody she's your sister. But don't worry about it because she's just trying to take your daddy's money. So now you're wondering, wait a minute, is she my sister? And then you see your father just walk right by her. I mean, so what are you thinking in your head? Who's who's telling you the truth here?
0: She's a liar. Why is she here? She's just trying to ruin my life. What do you mean she's my sister? This is crazy. You guys are crazy. She's crazy. Who, you know,
2: so you just didn't you didn't believe it at all.
0: At all. Okay. Not even a little bit.
2: All right.
0: I was just, I just remember being so angry, just yeah. so angry and, and, and just thinking to myself, I'm, I'm going to go tell her off. I'm, I'm going to tell her what I think. And I walked over to her and she turned around and she looked at me and she just hugged me like, like tight you know hmm. grabbed me and she said my name you know my name is crystal and i'm your sister and and i i don't know that i ever verbalized tell you know i remember thinking i don't know who you are and why are you doing this to me but i don't know that i ever said that to her like i don't know that i ever
2: mm-hmm.
0: said don't touch me i don't know who you are what are you doing here like you know, I think I think a lot of it was just kept inside. You know, at that point, I, I think my my upbringing had told me be nice to her. You know, like you know <laughs> that southern in me yeah. was going smile and, and be nice and don't tell her what you really think.
2: And can you describe her?
0: She she was from a a very religious family. Um, they. I mean, you have, you've you lived in the South. They were, mm-hmm. they were Southern Pentecostals. So um, they had hair. They never cut their hair. Um, and they always wore skirts. They never wore, she never wore pants. The, the, the women always wore dresses or skirts. Um, and so I, I remember she had on these like white kid shoes and like socks, you know, like thicker socks, you know, and in this jean skirt that came probably about shin length. And it's like uh, not flannel, but like that checker pattern button up shirt.
2: After the family reunion, she returned home to Arkansas and told her mother what happened. You see, Andrea's parents split when she was young.
0: And I, and I remember telling my mom, Mom, there's this girl that showed up. Her name was Crystal. And, and she showed up at the family reunion. And she told everybody she was my sister, and, and my, my dad and my grandma were really, really panicked, and they didn't know what to say, and and, I, and they told me that she wasn't, and she was just trying to get the money, and, and my mom, I remember this look on her face, like, she suddenly remembered, you know, like, she, it was just like, can I cuss?
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> she was just like, holy shit. It was like a light, like you could physically see the light bulb go off above her head. And I just remember she looked at me and she said, I remember when I started dating your dad. And he told me that there was some woman who was going around telling everybody that, that she had his baby, a little girl. And, and I just thought he was, I just thought he was being a a typical teenage guy. He was 19 or 20, you know, this young punk who was bragging about what he could do, you know? And she was like, and I just kind of brushed it off because he only mentioned it like once or twice. And then we started dating each other and then we got married and, and nobody ever talked about it. Like it was never ever brought up again, and and he and she said, "I just, I thought, I thought he was full of shit."
2: Andrea's mom reached out to Crystal's mom, so they could try to get to know each other better.
0: Uh, I remember remember going swimming with her, like at a local pool, and she wore a, like a cloth skirt in the swimming pool, not shorts, a skirt, yeah. like a like an ankle length skirt in the swimming pool.
2: But the question remains: Is Crystal really her sister? When Crystal was born, DNA tests were really uncommon. So now that Crystal's resurfaced, 13 years later, they took a test.
0: You know, the test was 99.999% sure that she she was my sister. She was my father's daughter.
2: Wow. And how, how did that make you feel now
0: knowing? Um, well, I, I mean, at that point, by the time the DNA test had come back, I had really gotten to know her. I'd spent time with her. Um, and so I had really grown to love her. I had, I had said that she's my sister from the day that I was born. She knew that I existed.
2: Hmm.
0: She knew my name. She knew what month I was born in. She even knew what I looked like.
2: So not she only had, not only did everyone know the secret, but like she knew the secret too. It's just like amazing. Like basically, you're the only one in this world that didn't know that secret.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm honestly shocked that I didn't find out until I was twelve. I'm, I'm, I'm because I grew up in a small town, twenty like twenty one miles west of where she grew up, was born and raised. I was born and raised in a town less than half an hour from her. I remember she, she gave me this poem that she had wrote me when she was like 11. And so I would have been eight, seven mm-hmm. or eight,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, all about how she couldn't wait to meet me hmm. um, and, and how much she loved me. And, And all of this
2: stuff. For the next few months, Crystal and Andrea were inseparable. They had their ups and downs, just like any other sisters. But now it was summer, and 12-year-old Andrea had to go to camp. But she was worried about going to camp because her grandfather just had a stroke.
0: And so I uh, went to camp um, really worried That I wouldn't get, I wouldn't see my grandpa again. And my grandpa was just, I mean, he was like one of my favorite people, you know? Um, and I was at camp, we checked in camp on, on a Sunday and Monday night, our camp counselor came to me. It was really late, like probably nine, nine o'clock. And she said, Hey, Andrea, I just got a phone call. And, and I had, I had no idea what's going on, but your mom called and said, you need to be packed up. She's coming to get you first thing in the morning. And all I could think about was that my grandpa had died and I was terrified that my grandpa was going to die while I was at sleepaway camp. I grabbed my bags. I seen her car. Um, I walked out to the car and I remember she walked around the car and she was crying and um i said did he die and she said what are you talking about and i said grandpa did he die and she said andrea it's not your grandpa and i said what happened and she said crystal was in a car accident and the world literally stopped (laughs) and i just looked at her and i said What? And she said, and she didn't make it. And I can, to this day, hear myself screaming in the middle of the woods, in the middle of a sleepaway camp, with campers all around me because they were all going to breakfast that morning. Just, just screaming. Sorry. Here was this. I had just lost a sister who I had known eight months not you know eight or nine months that's it i only had her eight or nine months because somebody lied to me and maybe not maybe not a lie they lied by omission they failed to tell me the adults around me knew that she existed and they lied to me She, she was a sister. She was a, a blood. She was part of me. She knew about me for 13 years. I knew about her for eight or nine months. Here's the thing. is The older I've gotten, the more emotional I think I've gotten about it. And I think it's because I'm, I'm emotional for the years that I lost with her. Um, that, that I should have had. Right? Mm. She... she She died in 1997. She was 16 years old. I should have had 13 years with her. She was three years older than me. I should have had 13 years with her. I should have shared clothes with her and and brushed her hair and and gossiped about boys. And we should have discussed our first kisses and our first crushes and went trick-or-treating together and and sat on the porch and drank sweet tea. We didn't. We didn't have that. But in the years since she has passed away, I look back on what little time I had with her and think, what if she had died before I even got to know her? Yeah, Like, how lucky is she that she got to meet me before she died? She knew she had 13 years of me in her mind. You know, mm-hmm. she knew about me. She had that time. I didn't have that time with her, but she had it with me. And how lucky how lucky I am that I got to meet her and share those last few months with her.
2: I really want to thank everyone who shared their stories with me, especially the listeners. I also want to thank the podcasters who contributed to this episode, like like Stephen Pacheco from the Trace Evidence podcast, and Nikki T from the Strictly Homicide podcast. I also got more stories of lies that I couldn't fit into this episode, like this one.
3: And I think he's going to be contrite, uh, maybe upset, worried, fearful that his lie has been found out. But you know, a professional liar when even being caught doesn't matter to them. He told me I was wrong. Nodded, smiled, walked away.
2: Again, if you have a story you want to share, send it my way and email me at javier at pretendradio.org. Again, I'll leave detailed instructions in the show notes. Next time on Pretend Radio... We'll hear from a cop who went undercover as a high school student in order to bust drug dealers.
0: So I went to the school. I get get checked in, like a regular student.
2: Yeah, that's right. A real 21 Jump Street cop.
1: Um, One of the detectives plays the part of my dad.
2: (laughs) Sometimes when you're playing the role of the bad guy, it's hard to tell if you're the good guy or just one of them.
0: Two older gang members. Hit me up and try to rob me. They caught me off guard, but at the same time, I had my badge and my ID in my wallet, and I had my gun in my waistband. They had a gun on me, they had a gun on my stomach. So now, uh, during that process, I'm trying to pull the gun away from him, and uh, we fall to the ground, and I'm pointing the gun to his face, hoping he fires and shoots himself in the
2: face. That's next time on Pretend Radio. Okay, so I don't know if you noticed, but today's episode was the first time we used our new theme music composed by Joe Basile from The Chicken Music and Sound Design. Find out more about Joe and The Chicken at thechicken.net. Seriously guys, if you have a video, animation, or a podcast that needs music, contact Joe Basile at thechicken.net. I've worked with Joe for years, And this guy is legit.
1: This is Steven, the host of Trace Evidence, a true crime podcast focused on missing persons and unsolved murders. If you're a true crime fan like I am, then you're haunted by the questions for which there are no answers and the names of the victims who so rightfully deserve them. Kurt Sova, Tara Calico, Lauren Speed, Rico Harris, Suzanne Jova, Dorothy Scott, Scott, Jesse Ross, Sky Metawalla, Patricia Docker, Rachel Trelisa. You may know their names, but do you know their stories? Trace evidence is available on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play Music, and more. Visit trace evidence.com for more information.
0: Creative